This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. Linda Sands is the award-winning author of five novels. Most recent awards include Georgia, author of the year for mystery, and two Silver Falchion Awards for Best Neo-Noir and Best P.I. Novel. Her short stories and essays have appeared in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, The Walton Sun, Skirt Magazine, and a bunch of lit mags and anthologies. Precious Cargo, book two in the Cargo series, is her latest. Happy to have Linda Sands join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Linda, welcome to this program. Thanks, Steve. I'm happy to be here. So... Tell me a little bit about your latest one, Precious Cargo. Precious Cargo is a, a little dark ditty. Uh, I didn't ever want to have to write about this subject, but unfortunately it exists. The whole idea of sex trafficking, human trafficking, um, it is a disgusting thing to research, let me tell you that. <laughs> Don't go bopping around the Internet typing in this stuff if you're not ready to see what you're going to see. Yeah. Um, I live outside of Atlanta, where there's, you know, obviously it's, it's quite a hub. Um, I wanted my, my girl, Jojo Boudreaux, my, my female trucker who solves mysteries on the road, to get a little dirty. And um, she certainly does in, in this book. So it's darker, but I was able to actually use the profits from the book to benefit um, some of the people that are trying to help folks out. I, I, I had a um, two different... I, one was a book launch and one was just like a party, a party for book friends. And all of the benefits uh, from the sales of the book, Precious Cargo, went to two groups in Atlanta to help them out with uh, re-educating and, and putting women back into the workforce that had been trafficked or had suffered in some way, shape, or form from that. So that was that was a good benefit of it. Um, I, I think that truck drivers get a bum deal on, on the sex trafficking deal because I think there's still more of this idea of the flannel-shirted Marlboro's packed in it, tucked up in his T-shirt kind of thing. And um, actually, if you look into it, you'll find that many of the rings of these, of these horrible traffickers have been broken by truck drivers, and they've saved these girls and helped them out. And there's, uh, I use a, in the book, I use a fake name. Uh, I call it TATS, Truckers Against Trafficking. And there's something very similar out there in the world, and I didn't want to mention in case I get in trouble for saying their name wrong or something. But mm. they do help these girls out, and they, they put um, burner phones and um, cards with phone numbers on the in bathrooms in truck stops. That's when they can get away from them. Jojo Boudreaux, how did you create uh, that character? Oh, geez. She was uh, a figment of my imagination. I... I did one of the things you should never do is I, I lied to my agent and told him I had a book written. And I really didn't. <laughs> I, I was, and he called me and he asked me, uh, at the time I had written a nonfiction book about modern day truck drivers. And I really wanted to make this cool coffee table book that was sort of like, you know, those big pages inside Esquire where they've got the craggy face of George Clooney. And then next to it, they've got maybe six questions and he sort of answers the question with this really great quote or, oh, my grandfather taught me this, like some really good nugget, right? Mm. And I thought, what if you could do that with a truck driver and have his face and then just the inside picture of his rig, because that tells everything, and just have a little bit of blurbs. So I started going around the country meeting truck drivers, which my husband was not very happy about, but um, meeting truck drivers, interviewing them, and I found a Condé Nast travel photographer who was also doing the similar thing. So she and I connected, and she started coming with me and taking the photographs. I want to say shooting truckers, but 
that doesn't sound right, so I heard say, taking the photographs of the drivers. Um, she and I together put together this beautiful idea of a book. He couldn't sell it, my agent couldn't sell it, and said to me, but Linda, there's got to be something else. Listen, you met all these people, you're telling me these stories, this is, something's going to happen here, right? You've got something going on. I'm like, of course I do. And I was standing in the pantry of my house, and I look across and I see this jambalaya rice box, and I think, well, Louisiana, Cajun. Okay. So there is a um, yeah, truck driver, a female trucker in Louisiana. She's Cajun. Her name's Jojo Boudreau. And I'm like, just pulling it out of my butt, seriously. <laughs> and um, he says, this sounds great. I said, she goes all over the world and, and all over the domestic United States <laughs> solving mysteries. He says, this is great. And I had just talked to someone who was complaining about how expensive their um, cancer medication was and these pills. And I said, yeah, there's a, um, you're going to have a, the first, the first one is going to deal with black market cancer drugs. He goes, I love it. Send me the first 30. So I went away and wrote 30 pages and that was it. <laughs> the co-driver. I love this name. Gator. Natoli. Yeah. What's Gator like? How'd yeah. you create Gator? <laughs> Only New Yorkers would, would love that whole thing. Like a guy who he's, he's, he's just, he's a sort of a, um, a compilation of a lot of men I know, and um, you know, you, you got to have the the hero. Of course, uh, in that first book, when when uh, Boone, and of course, we're not talking about the first book here. We're talking about Precious Cargo, but people that know Precious Cargo will hear her mention Boone, who was her fiance in the first book. And when he, I had to kill him off to get her to be, you know, a little more interesting and and to bring Gator into the picture. So he, uh, when Boone died, I got all these different phone calls and, and nasty, nasty grams and a lot of comments like, I liked him. I'm like, I know, good, because I did the right thing then by killing him off. You have to just push that button a little, I think. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the first book. The first book in the series, by the way, was Grand Theft Cargo. Did you intend for this to be a series when you started out? I did. I um, I actually had put aside like ideas for five of them. And the third book, I um, I have already, it becomes one of these things where I know you speak to a lot of writers and probably hear this a lot, where if you talk about it too much or if you make too many notes or you if you play around with it too much, it gets boring and you actually don't want to write it. That's what happened with book three. I, and now that I'm looking back at my notes and, and all the, I wrote all the chapters, I had this, and I never outlined like this. I don't know why I did it. I think because I was starting to use Scrivener and I had never... I was just playing with the idea of this Scrivener thing, so I made all these chapter titles, and uh, it was based on a NASCAR driver, a girl that drives a hauler for NASCAR. That was, but JoJo was going to take over her job. Great. Sounds good. Take me to North Carolina. That would be fun. All of that. Great, great. Boom, boom. Um, I'm going to replace all the engines in the cars with battery operators. So it sounded like really five years ago when I had this idea. Now I'm like, it is a reality. It could be a reality. And it's not that exciting anymore. So I'm not writing it right now, and I talked to my agent. He says, if you don't feel it, don't do it. If you feel like you got some free time and you just want to pen it out, I think that's how it happens. No, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> so I, I was going to ask about the whole outline thing. So you are clearly a pantser. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I do know. I always know where it's going to end. Sometimes I'll write the ending first because I know I've got to get there, and I always know the beginning. It's the middle part, you know, that I sort of, like, play with and, Try not to take too many right-hand turns, or in this case, left-hand turns, a lot of them, if I'm writing about, about a truck driver. And um, I, just, I think that it's more interesting for the writer and the reader if we're kind of discovering along the way. So what's your process? Do you, you take down some notes? And then like you were talking about when you created the character of JoJo, um, it just went from there. You know, you just built it out. 
I always, I always have like a vibe. It, whether it's the person, the, the character's voice, the good, the, it could be the protagonist, it could be the antagonist, it could just be a, a, a second or even tertiary character. I know that they're they're, and it's it's going to sound so cliche, but they do speak to me. They, I hear the voice, and I'm like, okay, and I got that. Or I'm standing someplace, and I look around, and I go, oh, this is happening somewhere, or i got to play something here. That happens a lot, too. Um, it's not always an excuse to travel, but it's an, it's an idea of this is so unique that the character that would go here and what would happen here would also be unique, and that's the kind of story I like to read. How did you come to be a writer, Linda? I always, you know, I always was. I was, I always, you know, people say that, and I, I'm like, geez, you know, what did you come out of the womb with a pencil in your hand? And that might be quite a painful thing for the mother. But <laughs> I didn't have the pencil in my hand, and I, when I told my mom that's what I wanted to do, they're like, well, that's not a real job. They would yeah. say, they were looking, <laughs> no, Linda, that is not a real job. I said, but come on, I, mean, we, we, I grew up reading. My dad would hand me the books as soon as he was done, hand them to me, whether I was eight or ten years old, I was getting a Cormac McCarthy or, or an Ed McBain or uh, Lawrence in hand, and I was like, hey, Dad, thanks. And so I became his, you know, his little buddy. He, poor guy had four daughters and no boys, and so I, I was a tomboy, and I read all the boy books, right? So that was my thing, and, I, and when I started to write in school, from grade school all the way up, I never had trouble in English class. I was like, this is the, why are people complaining? This is so simple. It was, and I thought, it can't be... It really can't be that simple, right? It always was. Did you always know that you were a pretty good storyteller? Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, my mom would say, you have quite an imagination, she'd say. <laughs> oh, that's quite an imagination. And first I thought it was a negative thing. Then later I was like, thank you. Yeah. Yes, I do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just embrace that stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your interesting writing quirk? I do, I do have to have quiet. I, um, that's mm. one thing. Like I, it was funny. I was sitting next to, to Mark Greeny. You probably know him with his yeah. Gray Man series yeah. and fantastic writer, mm-hmm. wonderful guy. And we're sitting in this panel, and and the guy I, going down the row asking questions. Right. So the guy asks his question and says something about coffee shops and blah 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 and da da da. And I and he, he asked me and he looked at me. I said no. He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I can't write at a coffee shop. It's so noisy." I said, "There's too many eavesdrop. You know." People you can eavesdrop on. What am I going to do in this coffee shop? How can I possibly stick to my story? People who do that are kind of weird. I don't get it. I went on and on. And then it passed the mic to Mark next to me. He goes, I'm one of those weird guys. <laughs> who's just, oops, sorry. But Mark and I are friends now, so that's okay. We, we bonded on, on, my, uh, on, on our differences, I guess you can say. So I, I, don't, I like the quiet, um, and I like to, have, to be able to talk out loud to myself. That's probably pretty quirky. I do. I, yeah, I talk. Yeah. I talk as I as I as I type, and I always have to read it out loud, like for the rhythm. I love to hear the rhythm and the patter. And if it doesn't, you know, sound right to me, then I'll play with that sentence for hours. Yeah, I get a bunch, and I've had a bunch of authors on here recently who need the noise. Some kind of noise in the coffee shop comes up a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I I did that one. There was something you can download on your on your computer. It just plays like a free thing, and it and it you can pick different sounds and even blend them. And so I did that for a little while. Um, when I had a a dog that was more barky, my my dog now is not very barky, but that would help too. So I wouldn't hear that sort of. Oh, I, I've got to get up. Even though he was only barking at silly things, nothing that I really had to go do. So I put that on, and then one time I put this. Here's like the red tracks. The rustling leaves, and then a bonfire. I was like, okay, 
what kind of comp? I don't know. That's like a very crude combination, but also it made you think about a lot of stuff with all that happening in the background. Uh, and I do, I do use, um, there's an Amazon electronic music for work. I've used that in the background sometimes. If I have people working in the yard or loud guys playing mariachi music somewhere, I'm on a property that's getting developed. So there's always somebody doing something. <laughs> Linda, is it hard to, with all the distractions now, is it hard to shut everything off and get in the zone for you and to just sit down, butt in the chair, and start writing? It is. And one of the best things I did was last year during NaNoWriMo, I joined my Sisters in Crime group at a 8 o'clock every morning, uh, well, Monday through Friday. We had our weekends to choose what to do what we wanted to do, to log on and be there with your face right up on the screen in front of the other girls and, and be writing. And that kept me, and it made a great habit. And after that month was over, a bunch of us said, well, let's, gonna keep, let's just keep going. And we kept going. And now I have a steady crew. There's uh, six of us. We meet every morning. We moved it to 8.30 because, you know, that extra half hour is coffee time. Yes. So we moved it to 8.30, and we, we get on there every morning. I don't leave my video up anymore. A lot of us don't. We like we talk, get a little, this is what we're working on today, and then we check back in in an hour, and how did it go, what's going on, who needs help. And that accountability and that 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 motivation of your fellow writers right there is huge. It's remarkable. Mm. All right, I want you to pick three characters from any story. You're up to, what, five novels now, working on a sixth? Yes. All right, I want you to pick three characters from any story that you've written so far. Which one okay. would you sleep with? Which one would you marry? Which one would you kill? What are your picks? Oh, my God. Well, I would sleep with Gator in a heart. <laughs> and I, w I would probably borrow his cowboy boots, too. But he's, yeah, he's, there's something about that dude. And he's got a lot of fast cars, so, geez. Who would I kill now? Oh, um... I would definitely kill Jimbo from Three Women Walk Into a Bar. Uh, he, he's just a – I think I might enjoy killing him. I mean, not a meme personally, but me as, as another character, wink, wink, in another book. <laughs> Mary, kill, and what was the other – oh, sleep with – oh, Mary. I've got to marry somebody. Um, yes. I would make it really complicated and marry JoJo just because if I married her, I could, you know – I could be cool to a lot more people. Yeah. And also, I, I believe in, in female rights and be a powerful couple. I'll tell you that. <laughs> she, probably wouldn't mind if I, she probably wouldn't mind if I slept with Gators. So that would work out well. I just mentioned briefly, you are working on a sixth novel. Can you give us a sneak peek into what it's about? Sure. Um, the working title is Get Cozy, sort of an homage to one of my favorite writers, Elmore Leonard, with his Get Shorty book. Um, it deals with the publishing industry, which, of course, every writer has got to write about the publishing industry at some point in time. And it came about because I was sitting on a panel with a group of my writers at Killer Nashville more years ago than I want to admit. This is the longest it's ever taken me to complete a book. And this is the longest manuscript I've ever written at 103,000 words, which sounds pretty big for people that know how many words are in a book. Um, this is what we did. We sat there and we made fun of cozy stories, cozy authors, and cozy books. But we also said, they're doing really well in the marketplace. And why are there so many of them? And I said, I know. Like, I wish, like, we could, you know, get rid of some of them. And somebody's like, yeah, what if we did get rid of them? And I said, yeah, we could. What if we, like, killed off the cozy authors by in the same way that they kill off the people in their books? And that is basically the premise of Get Cozy, where an editor in the publishing industry is sort of feels like she's on her, her last chance for success, and the only way that she can get this author, who she loved, his literary book, that she can get him into the marketplace in her current position at this current publishing company is to kill off 
some cozy authors and make room on the list for his book, Accidental Serial Killer. So <laughs> yeah. All right. You can, I'm sure, get updates on Linda's website, lindasands.com. Also, Instagram, instagram.com slash lindasands. Facebook is author, and Twitter is at lindasands. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was so much fun, Steve. And this is Speaking of Writers.